I just wonder how many of you when, you, when you see the word sexuality, would think we are living in one of the most confusing times I can ever remember in history. Anybody feel that way? You don't, you don't have to raise your hands on any campuses. I just, I know so many people do. And so I feel this deep conviction inside my heart that as a church, we need to add clarity and compassion in the midst of all the confusion and that's our goal for the next three weeks in this series. Today, I'm going to start this series by simply answering the question, how did we get here? Next week, I'm going to, I will be preaching on the topic of transgender or gender dysphoria. And then the last week of the series, we'll be talking about a biblical guide to same-sex attraction. Now, I want to start right up front by saying that even hearing those topics, this is, this is a really tough series for some of you. Because either you're struggling or someone that you love is struggling around you. In fact, I think this is only an easy topic if, if neither of those are true about you. And I know they're not. In fact, I personally have family members and friends that are a part of the LGBTQ plus community. My heart, I love them. I know this is a tough one. I've, I've spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours no exaggeration, studying God's word on this topic. And I have spent hundreds and hundreds of hours spending time with people in that community. In fact, it was about 10 years ago that Mark Moore and I decided, uh, we hopped on a plane and we flew to Portland, Oregon, and we attended a conference that was uh, with about 1,500 LGBTQ plus people at this conference. And then there was just Mark and I. I mean, literally, it's like, oh, there was hardly anyone else besides the LGBTQ community. And we were just there as pastors. We wanted to learn. We wanted to grow and spend time with this community. And I'll never forget during lunch one day, Mark and I were at this Chinese restaurant with people from the conference and we were all around this, this circular table, about 10 of us. And the guy sitting next to Mark, Mark just leans over to him and he says, so um, like, would you identify as, as gay? And the guy's face just turned white. And he had come with his sister and this guy goes, well... He looks at his sister and he goes, I guess this is as good as time as any to come out. I'm gay. And for the very first time, he like came out right there. I told Mark later, I was like, Mark, you're the reason that guy came out today. You know? Um, but Mark didn't mean to say anything wrong or offensive. But I've realized that sometimes teaching on this topic, I'll just make it personal. I know that I'll say something during this series that might be painful or hurtful to someone. And I'm gonna ask right up front for your grace. It's not my intention at all. In fact, I just have two bullseyes for this whole entire series, and here they are. Number one is, even if you disagree with something that's said throughout this series, you would still feel deeply loved at CCV. In fact, if, if you're here today, and you're wondering, or you're struggling, you're wondering if, if you could come into a church like this and, and wrestle and be you know, maybe different or feeling different and just wonder if you would ever be loved and ever be welcomed into church like this. Look me in the face right now. I just want to say it is a definitive yes. We love you. We love you. Can we give it up for those that might be like feeling like we love you? Now, I'm going to ask our church to make that the last time that we applaud during, during this series. And here's why, because I love that we applauded for people that we love them, but there's some things I'm gonna say that people are gonna to wanna to applaud to, and it could be misconstrued by someone else that's struggling that they're not welcome, that we don't love them. And so I'm just gonna ask you to hold your applause throughout this, 
this series, but I, that's my one bullseye is that even if you disagree, you feel deeply loved. But my second bullseye is this. I wanna teach you God's truth. We live in a time in history where shallow answers to hard questions is unacceptable. And so throughout this series, I'm going to boldly and unashamedly teach you God's word because I believe God's word gives you your best life. And I'm for you. This church is for you. So you're going to hear God's word throughout this series. Now, with that being said, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That's partly where we'll be at today. As you're turning there, here's what's going on um, at, at this time in history. Paul is writing to a city called Corinth. Corinth would have been the Las Vegas of Jesus's day. It was literally a, a sexually no holds barred, no limits, no issues. You could do whatever you wanted. And the reason why is because people in the city of Corinth were literally worshiping sex. And that's because Aphrodite, the Greek god, goddess of sex and sexuality and love, she was born in Corinth and her temple was based in Corinth and there was a crazy amount of sexual immorality going on. Anything goes, no limits. And into this culture... Paul writes these words for us that are followers of Jesus. He says this, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Translated, run, forest, run. Like with whatever you see around you sexually, run in the opposite direction. And, and you can feel the pushback even then or even today with people going like, well, come on, man. I mean, it's, it's just a natural like urge. It's just like a natural thing to like have sex and whatever's like your sexual thing is inside of you. Just let it loose, baby. And Paul goes, you, you don't understand something about sex. And what he says next, I would, I would underline or mark up if you've got a Bible. This is so profound. Here's what Paul says. All, say all, all other sins a person commits are outside his body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And Paul goes on later to say, that's because did you not know that your body is the temple of where God resides now? Like Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides inside of you. And what Paul is saying, what scripture teaches us, this is really big, is that sexual sin is different than almost any other kind of sin. And you don't even have to understand that fully to know that it's true. In fact, I could almost guarantee you for almost every person here today, the thing that haunts us the most in our past is something we did sexually or something that was done to us sexually. Sexual sin has a gravity to it that as scripture teaches us is different than all other sins. Don't you think Satan knows that? Of course he does. And so Satan's goal in your life and mine, Satan's goal is to make sexual sin look normal and God's design to look crazy strange. And that is where we are at today, isn't it? I hope you're going to take notes throughout this series. I hope you're going to write stuff down because there's so much to cover. But where we are at today in this cultural moment is God's design looks way out of date and crazy weird and the anything goes kind of sexual culture we have going on, that looks so normal. 
And the question I want to answer today is how did we get here? Like, how do we get to a place where just 50 to 60 years ago, our grandparents would have never heard anything that we're hearing today? Words like, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body. I'm gay. We're opening our marriage up. We're going to have an open marriage and invite in all sorts of sexual partners because that's going to be awesome. Not only I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, I'm a dog trapped in a man's body. And until you think that's way extreme, that's way out there, let me show you a, a recent article that was run on, this is a guy that spent $14,000 because he wanted to become a dog. That's him as a dog. He's taking his first walk. Now you're thinking, well, that's just extreme. Now remember, what we thought was extreme 20 to 30 years ago is way normal today. And that, by the way, if you walk into most high schools in the valley today, there are people identifying as animals all over the place. How did we get to this moment? Let me ask you, how, did you th how do you think we got to this moment? What do you think the, the underlying thing is? What a lot of people would say is they'd say something like this. Well, you know, we've just thrown the Bible out. You know, we've, we've kind of chucked God out the window. And while I don't disagree with that, I think it might be grossly incomplete. And here's why. If I said to you, the twin towers on 9-11 fell because of gravity, is that a true or false statement? It's actually true, but it's grossly incomplete. Grossly incomplete. If we want to understand why the towers fell on 9-11, it wasn't just gravity. We have to get into the ideology, into the theology of the people that actually did that. And if we want to understand this sexual moment in culture right now, we have to get deep, really, really deep in this series and understand the ideology and the theology behind some of the things that are happening today. Now, where we're at today, this sexuality and anything goes kind of culture, it started to be really publicly displayed starting in the 1960s during what was called the sexual revolution. The sexual revolution, which started around the 60s, was the idea that there should be no limits on sex. Sex should be unhindered. You do whatever you want to do, whatever you feel, whatever is inside of you, attraction, let it loose. And this was a sexual revolution. But what I want to show you today is that there's ideologies and beliefs that have been building before the sexual revolution that have led till today. And the reason I want to start with how do we get here is this. We cannot really accurately discover where to move forward from this moment if we don't understand how we got to this moment. Does that make sense? So I want to give you today two ideologies from the sexual revolution, and then I want to look at God's word to compare what he says about them so we as followers of Jesus can live our best lives according to God's word, not this world. Here's the first. The sexual revolution's core principle is something called expressive individualism. Now, if you've never heard that before, it's a, it's a fancy phrase developed by the sociologist Robert Bella. And what he did is he was describing something that was going on. Let me just try to describe this fancy phrase to you. And you need to understand it. Expressive individualism is the idea that my identity is found only 
and only when I can express outwardly my inward feelings. So here's what expressive individualism says. It says, I've got to do this. I have to search within myself. Number one, I got to search inside my heart and my feelings, my emotions, like everything. I got to search myself. And then to be an authentic human being, to find my identity, I search within myself. And then I must be allowed by culture to let all of that out of me into culture to be an, an authentic person. That is expressive individualism. Now, let me just give you some of the slogans from expressive individualism, and you'll probably understand it more. These are the slogans that have come out of this movement. You do you. Follow your truth. Just find yourself. And my personal favorite, just follow your heart. Everything's going to go awesome. These are the slogans of a movement of expressive individualism. And by the way, these slogans are all over billboards, t-shirts, and signs in our society right this very moment. There's a casino in Arizona that lives off one of these slogans. Now, when we turn to scripture and we say, hey, if I wanted to find my identity, if I wanted to find who I really am, do I search within myself and my own heart and then follow my heart to find myself? There is not one place in scripture that God even hints that you do that. He says the exact opposite. Can I read you one verse? Jeremiah 17, nine. The heart is what? Deceitful. Your heart and my heart are deceitful, not just somewhat deceitful. They're deceitful above all things. There is nothing else more deceitful in your life and mine than my own heart, my own feeling, my own emotion, my own attractions. It is deceitful. Who can understand it? Well, not me and not you, only God. Let me ask you, you you ever followed your heart and ended up in a ditch? You ever followed your heart and made one of the worst decisions you can ever remember? This happens to me all the time. It's like every week, you know, I'm like, I go out to eat and the doctors say, get a salad. And I'm like, but my heart says triple cheeseburger. Like, I think I should do this, you know? Now that's, that's one we can laugh off, right? But when it comes to sexual sin and sexuality, nothing, nothing will deceive you more than your sexual thoughts and emotions. Your heart is deceitful. And I know this is true because almost all of us can think of something haunting in our past that we've done sexually, that we followed our heart on something, and man, it left us with more pain and misery than we could ever imagine. Follow your heart has ended more marriages, mutilated more bodies, destroyed more souls, and ended more lives than the devil could have ever imagined. It's hell's most effective slogan. Stop following your heart and follow the one who created it. You have a God who created your heart and you need to follow him and his design for you, not your own heart and emotions because your heart is deceitful. I love that quote. Because all of us know people in our own lives around us where that's happened. And if you want to find your identity, your true self, listen, your identity is given by God, not discovered by you. You are a child of the most high king. 
Like God created you. He loves you. A car does not go to the manufacturer and say, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. You say gasoline, I'm filling up my car with water. Would you be surprised if the car broke down? No. So we don't look to ourselves for our own definition of identity or right or wrong. We look to our creator who created us because that's how you find the best life ever. How do we get to a place where people define their identity by their own feelings, by their own emotions and heart? Well, when Frederick Nietzsche, or as some pronounce Nietzsche, said, God is dead. And Darwin and others followed suit and people began believing that. This is where you end up. But I'm not just talking about atheists. There are Christians that live as if God is dead. There are Christians right here that you pronounce Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then you go off and you ask God to align with your emotions and feelings instead of the opposite. What was the first sin in all of humanity with Adam and Eve? They wanted to take God's place. And Satan whispered in their ear, hey, you, you, he, he, did he really say, did he really say you can't eat all the fruit? It looks good, doesn't it? Go eat the fruit and you'll become like God. And we have been following suit ever since, wanting to take God's place as, a, as an authority over our life. And without God, by the way, your inner feelings and emotions are accountable to no one but you. And by the way, that should be a scary place to be. Because without God, you take on the horrifying task of being God in your own life. How's that going for you? God is the creator. God knows what's good. And he is not a prude. He's not trying to repress anybody. He wants you to have your best Life, but expressive, expressive individualism is the sovereignty of self, and the issue is authority. I want to visualize this for you. The issue with authority simply is this Will I find my truth and who I am in my own feelings and emotions? Like, will I take what's inside of me and say, That's my God? Nobody else tells me what to do except for me and my feelings and emotions. Or will your authority, will you place yourself under the authority of your creator who knows you better than you know yourself? The issue is authority. Can we just admit that this way of living in our world today is broken? The sexual revolution has failed and every stat says it. You, you would be hard-pressed today to find one emotional or sexual statistic that says we are better off today than we were 60 years ago. Can I just give you a, I'll, I'll just give you a few. These aren't Christian statistics. These are just statistics. CNN, okay, not a Christian statistic. CNN reported on the General Social Survey, which is the largest social survey done every year in the United States. Americans now rate their own happiness as the lowest in five decades since the sexual revolution. We are at the lowest point of happiness in American history. The divorce rate has doubled. I want you to look at this chart very carefully. The this is the divorce rate. It has doubled since what date? The 1960s. 
We are destroying marriages and families and kids because we bought into a lie. Even self-reported sexual satisfaction across different demographics, you may not need to be able to see this chart exactly, but here's what it says. This chart says the more unhindered you let your sexual life be, the less sexual satisfaction you have. Do you know who today in America is the most sexually satisfied demographic out of anyone? And you go look up the stats for yourself. The most sexually satisfied demographic in America today are Christians that hold to a biblical ethic from God in Genesis chapter two and confirmed by Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 that says sex is confined inside of a marriage between one man and one woman in a covenant. Those are the most sexually satisfied people on planet earth today because God's word works. Now you might say, that feels so repressive and not progressive enough for where our country and world needs to head. Let's let it loose. And if you think that's repressive or not progressive enough, I pray this quote from C.S. Lewis just strikes someone here today. This would be one to take a picture of. We all want progress. But if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. In that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive. Do you want to know the most progressive thing you could do, our country could do overnight? The most progressive thing we could do is say, we don't know best, our creator knows best, and we'll align our sexual ethic on God's word, not what the world and the sexual revolution says around us. Listen, God's design for sex is not repressive. So many people think that about Christianity. You're like, oh, we're going to repress this thing. God's design for sex. He is the most pro-sex God you could ever imagine. I'm the most pro-sex pastor you could imagine. I wouldn't be teaching this otherwise. God's design for sex is railroad tracks that put you on a locomotive that take you where you want to go. Getting off the tracks is not freedom, it's a train wreck. And we have a train wreck in our country, and I'm just saying it's time for us to wake up and do something different. Some of us struggle and say, but this, but to not express my sexuality that is inside of me, that is so repressive. I mean, how how could I not express my sexuality and my orientation and my attractions? with all the love inside of me, please hear this. And I can say this because I'm not a politician looking for votes. I'm a pastor that cares about your soul. Culture says, express yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. And in case you think I'm lying, let me just read it straight to you. Jesus says, you got to put your emotions and attractions under my authority. Matthew chapter 16, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must say it out loud. Must what? You got to deny yourself. They got to deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. And by the way, all of us have a cross to bear. And some of us, our cross is that we have to submit our attractions and our desires to God's word, not our world. 
But Jesus says, you better deny yourself. If you ever want to follow me, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it to gain the whole world? Can I translate that? What good is it to gain everything in this world sexually? Like, I'm just going to let it loose. Whatever I want flies. And then you lose your soul. Anybody here lost your soul? Like you're doing everything sexually you want and your soul's so empty because you don't find gratification by chasing what this world says. You find gratification by chasing the word of God. The reason that is so hard for some of you to accept is because of the second lie of the sexual revolution. This is the deepest lie to me, my opinion. And it says this, the sexual revolution says the core of my identity is my sexuality. It would be hard for me to overstate how unprecedented this is in our world today. It's never happened in history. In fact, Carl Truman, who wrote a book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, which is a very hard book to get through, but it's probably the best book written on this topic in the last decade. He said this, sexuality today is presented as that which lies at the very heart of what it means to be an authentic person. That is a profound claim that is arguably unprecedented in history. Here's what he's saying. There has never been a time in human history that humanity has defined their identity by their sexual attractions or orientation. It's never happened. Go study history for yourself. In scripture, even in the time of Jesus and throughout almost all of human history, sex was something you did. Today, it's defined as who you are. In other words, sex has gone from an activity to your identity. How did we get there? There's lots of reasons, but I think one of the biggest culprits is a man named Sigmund Freud, who many of you have heard of. Sigmund Freud's ideas are now being squashed by most of the psychological community, but their effects are deeply embedded in what many of us believe about sex today. You can order this book off Amazon today. It'll cost you a few bucks. It's called Civilization and It's Discontents by Sigmund Freud. I want to read you one quote from this book by Sigmund Freud. Let this sink in. He said this, Man's discovery that sexual love afforded him the strongest experiences of satisfaction and in fact provided him with the prototypes of all happiness, it all comes from sex, must have suggested to him that he should continue to seek the satisfaction of happiness in his life along the path of sexual relations and that he should make, let this sink in, man should make genital eroticism the central point of his life. That's sick. It's wrong. And there could be nothing further from the truth. Someone look at me. You are not your attractions. You are not your sexual attractions. You are a child of God. And don't you dare think that chasing 
Your sexual attractions or gratification, whatever they are, is going to give you the deepest meaning in life. That is one of the biggest lies Satan could ever lie to you. And Satan used Sigmund Freud as a puppet to permeate this idea that exists in so many people's lives today. If the only way you could experience happiness is your sexual gratification, then you would have to express it. And it's deeper than that. If, if you had to express it and that became your identity, your sexuality, then here's words and listen to our language today. Someone wouldn't say this. They wouldn't say, hey, I have same-sex attractions. I, I have some things I desire, same-sex attractions. What do we say? You're a gay man. It is your identity. You're a lesbian woman. It is now your full identity. This is Satan's weapon because once he controls your identity, he controls your activity. Let me say that again. Once Satan controls your identity, he will control your activity. And Satan will do anything to link your identity and your sexuality together because once he's done that, he's won. In fact, scripture tells us that there will be a day that comes in our world where this would happen, that people would make their desires their God. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and they'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. What does Paul say? There'll come a time in history when people will take their desires and they'll make them their God. And then they'll surround themselves with a bunch of preachers and pastors that will tell them it's okay. Anybody else feel like that's where we're at right now? Hey, just know when you show up to CCV, I will not tell you what your ears want to hear. And I want to tell you why, because I'm accountable to God, not to you. And I feel compelled by God that no matter what I think, I will teach his word to you, not what the world tells you. But the issue ultimately is this. You've got to decide, what will I make my God? Will I make it sexuality or I literally align under God's design and commands. You have to decide what you're going to make your God. And so many people make sexuality their God. Whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. Can I say that again? Whatever God creates that's good, Satan will counterfeit to try to get you to follow something different. And there's so many implications in our life. Some of us have given our lives to Jesus. And when we did, what is the symbol that Jesus is now Lord of our life? What is the symbol in Christianity? It's baptism. We go underneath the water and we say, I die to myself. I die to my desires. I die to what I think. And when I come out of the water, I make Jesus Lord. And Jesus says, I want to be Lord over every area. And we're like, um, did you mean every area? Yeah, I meant every single area. So you, like the whole sex thing too, like everything, everything. I want to be Lord over everything. And where some of us are at today is we're like the crusaders. The crusader soldiers that were going off to war, they were being baptized. And what many of the crusader soldiers did, look this up in history, is when they were baptized, they took their hand and sometimes their sword. And when they were baptized, they held the, their hand and sword out of the water. And here was what they were telling God. 
God, you can have every part of my life except for this one. And many of us have held our sexuality out of the waters of baptism because we say, God, you get every other part of my life, but you can't have this one. I want to do what I want to do. Here's the lie. Culture says the core of your identity is your sexuality. And Jesus says the core of your identity is Christ and Christ alone. Where you will find the greatest satisfaction in this world is not in your sexual preferences being just done everywhere. You'll find it in the loving arms of your Savior and aligning with his word. And some of you push back on that concept because you think this, you think, I can't experience love if I can't have any sort of expression of my sexuality. How would I ever experience love in this world? And that's where we hear the term love is love. You heard that before? Well, love is just love. And I just, just let people express their love because I can't have love if I can't express my sexuality. That is one of the deepest lies Satan will ever tell you. I'm gonna do a whole series on this someday. I've wanted to, but I'm just gonna give you it in 15 seconds. Did you know there's not one kind of love? Biblically, there are four types of love. There's sexual or romantic love, which is eros. There's friendship love, which is philea. There's family love, which is storge love. And then there's the deepest kind of love you could ever experience in this life, which is God's unconditional love, which is called agape love. What love does scripture talk about the most? Agape. And you will never experience the deepest type of love in your life until you fully embrace God's agape love. But to say just because I can't express my sexuality means I can't experience love is a lie. And I want to speak to our church for a minute. Please hear this. And this is where the church has messed us up over the last few years. If we tell the LGBTQ community that this one, God says, mm, how dare we withhold the other three loves from them? And how dare we make them think that there's a God who does not love them so deeply. Do you understand how deep this is? Love, be careful how you define love because it will dictate sometimes what you do. The issue is will you find your identity in sex and sexuality or will you find your identity in God? I want to show you the life story of, of two people from our church. They're in our church. They're deeply involved in our church. And they have a story that is so powerful because each of them chased their identity through their sexuality. Watch Gary and Melissa Ingram's story. I had a long-term relationship with a guy I moved in with pretty quickly. And, and, but then after that, there were a lot of kind of anonymous encounters that I didn't want the anonymous encounters. I kept thinking they would, they, you know, might be something that would last longer. I felt like I finally belonged someplace where I was wanted probably, you know, for all the wrong reasons, but it was a place where I didn't feel judged or condemned and quite to the contrary. So that really, was euphoric and 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 felt like oh this is like this is who i am this is my identity and everything kind of made sense for me what inspired me to really change my life and direction is that i finally got to a place of feeling so much brokenness feeling like 
oh, this this was euphoric in the beginning. This this looked like this is the promised land in a sense, you know, the LGBT community. I finally have a place to belong. But over the course of time, that veneer began to rub off. That veneer began to really reveal what was underneath of it. I met a woman um, at a lesbian bar and we began to date and I got physically involved with her and I felt like this is what I've been looking for my whole life. I mean, it just felt so right to be with her. And my sister just came right out and asked me, what's going on? And I said, well, I think I'm gay. And she had the best response. Like I thought for sure she was gonna tell me I was going to hell, but she didn't. I mean, she, she, her and my mom basically said, we do not believe this is God's best for you, but we love you. And what was so awesome about that, about her not being um, harsh and judgmental was that it left the door open that later when she invited me to that conference, I was willing to go because I was searching. I, I trusted her enough to go with her to the place where I heard the gospel and I heard the reality about my own brokenness. But what impacted me that day was a woman getting up and sharing her story of getting involved with a female friend from her Bible study and in a lesbian relationship. And then they said, well, let's look at the Bible and let's see what, what it has to say about our relationship. And they came to the conclusion that the Bible said it was wrong. And the one friend said, I don't really care. I'm going to do this. And the woman that was giving her testimony said what changed my life forever. She said, I decided I was going to follow the Bible because I realized that just because I felt something didn't make it right. Because that had been my entire justification for this lesbian relationship and believing um, that this is who I was supposed to be. Melissa and I often talk about the fact that we still deal with some levels of same-sex attraction. I mean, it's it's not completely gone, it's not totally eradicated, but what we've realized is that doesn't have to prevent us. I mean, everybody on the planet, every Christian, deals with desires that are contrary to, to God's word or following Him, and we have to daily take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow after Him. And over the course of weeks and months and years of time, it's gotten easier and easier to do that. But it's not as I focused on, oh, I wanna, I wanna be opposite sex attracted. It was as I allowed the Lord to build me up as a masculine being made in His image and actually gave me a desire to be deeply and truly connected um, to a woman, to Melissa. Actually, it's our 16th anniversary coming up on uh, September 8th. I believe that, you know, Christ gave everything to ransom me and because he obeyed, I can obey him. And so it, for me, it's, it's a daily decision. I mean, and not even about same-sex attraction. I mean, that was just kind of the surface issue. I mean, let's talk about my pride. Let's talk about my anger. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about the judgments that I had about men that I needed to confess and repent of. And as I was willing, to submit to him, 
then he began to change my outlook. Um, if that hadn't happened, Gary never would have stood a chance. I mean, it would have been a, I know, it would have been a minefield. Um, and uh, yeah, he would have been roadkill. So, um, so grateful for just the, all the Lord has done. And, um, and then as a result of that healing process, then that's when God called me to help other people. And, and that's what I love about God. Only in God's economy can he use our brokenness and our wounds and turn it around for the good of the kingdom and for other people. We're so focused on flip-flopping attractions. That's not where it's at. It's actually, as, as God began to pour into my life through these men who just saw me as a dude, they just saw me as a brother who was struggling in this area, they struggle in some of these other areas, pornography or sexual sin or other things too. But as they shared their life with me and just took me under their wing, God began to activate what my dad had never understood how to, with this masculine seed within me. And our belief is that identity is such a powerful foundational sense of who we are, that when we take something that if we were to act on would be sin and connect that to our Christianity, that that's actually, we're creating a huge fault line for ourselves. And I believe that if I were to do that, first of all, I don't think I have any business marrying Melissa if I still believe that I'm a gay man, that that's my identity. Uh, even as a gay Christian, I don't identify um, myself as a gay man. I identify myself as a man made in God's image and a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's give it up for Gary and Melissa. <clears throat> I love their story. And again, let me just make it clear, when, when you begin to align your life with, with God's identity, not everyone has the same story as they do, that there's, there's marriage involved. That's not the story for everyone. But the story is that they just begin to align their lives with God's word, not their attractions. And I love how they really did that in a, in a great way. And what Melissa said was so powerful to me. Let me just remind you what she said. She said this, just because I felt something doesn't make it right. That should be a mic drop for someone here today. Just because you feel something doesn't make it right. In other words, you just have to decide how are you going to align your life? Are you going to align your life under your feelings and emotions? Like this is going to drive everything. You heard their story. They still have same-sex attractions. To this day, I know both of them. They, have, they run an amazing ministry called the Truth and Love Network, helping so many people. They still have same-sex attractions. They just don't let their feelings define their identity. They decided to let God define who they are and dictate their life. And now they're living their best life possible. But Gary said this. He said, every single one of us, every person on planet Earth has to deal with desires that don't align with God's word. Every, by the way, that puts all of us level at the ground of the cross. I don't care if you're straight, homosexual, bi, queer. It doesn't matter. All of us are level at the foot of the cross. Let me just put myself as an example. When I, Ashley, see a woman that I'm attracted to, what do I do? Do I, do I lean into my emotions and feelings or do I submit to who God says I am. And someone's thinking this right now. Well, that's so easy for you to say because you're a straight male. I was born this way. In fact, every single gay person I've ever talked to, any, anybody struggling with gender dysphoria, they've all said the same thing to me. I mean, they describe it this way. I have had these feelings since my earliest memories. In fact, they also say, and I would take this away if I could. And they really mean it. I believe it. 
They say, because I was born this, gay, this way, it has to be okay, right? Lean in. The fact is this, there is no scientific evidence that we are ever born genetically with a sexuality and that it, it's just that way. There's no evidence of that. In other words, there's no gay gene. There's not. And if you don't believe me, let me just read to you from the world-renowned geneticist that exists today. His name is Francis Collins. He headed up the entire human genome project, the largest genetic project on the world. He's over all the geneticists. He says this, sexual orientation is genetically influenced, but not hardwired by DNA. And, what, and that whatever genes are involved, they represent predispositions, not predeterminations. Here's what he's saying. There could be a predisposition that someone's born with no different than a predisposition to alcoholism, depression, drug addiction, or heart disease. But a predisposition towards something does not tell you if it's right or wrong, good or bad. At all. In fact, he goes on to, he says this, the prominent role of individual free choices has a profound effect on us. We have to take our emotions, our feelings, and bounce them off something higher and more authoritative than just us. And that is the decision you have to make and I have to make. Romans 12.2 says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. This is what God does. He renews our mind and thinking. He said, I don't want you to live the way the world lives. To live according to my word. And if you do that, you'd, then you'd learn to know God's will for you. What's God's will? It's good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. And if someone here today says, I don't know how I'd live my life without expressing my sexuality, you just need to know God has so much good in store for you because you're not your attractions. Your identity comes from something deeper than that. And CCV, let me just talk to you candidly. There's people here right now wondering if they would truly be loved in this church. We have to love deeply everyone, everyone. But there's someone here today, you're thinking this, I'm too far gone. Like, I'm just too far gone. I've just messed up too much sexually. Like, I'm way out there. I've just gone too far down this path. God would never take me back. Don't you believe it? In fact, when you read through scripture, you know who Jesus showed the most grace towards? Not the religious leaders, the sexually broken. In fact, in John chapter eight, the, the religious leaders bring a woman caught in sexual sin and they throw her at the feet of Jesus and they say, condemn her. And Jesus looks at the religious leaders and he just kneels down and starts writing in the sand. And I think he was writing in the sand their sexual sins. John, you looked at pornography last week. You've had a struggle for a long time. And Rick, you've had an affair on your spouse multiple times. How dare you judge this woman that sins sexually than you, different than you do? And slowly by slowly, they all went away. And Jesus looks at this woman and he says, and has anybody condemned you? She looks around and she says, no. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Now go leave your life of sin. Jesus was the perfect balance of grace and truth.
And I pray as a church, we can be that balance too because we care about people so much, amen? Hey, every week of this series, I'm gonna close by us reading some scripture together because I think it's gonna be so grounding for us. And I want you to read this verse out loud with me. It comes from Ephesians chapter four. If you feel comfortable, would you read this aloud with me? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Father, we come to you today, every single one of us, we're sinners. And Father, we don't wanna point out something in somebody else, God, that we don't wrestle with ourselves because all of us have our stuff. But I pray for the person here today that their heart is beating a little bit fast because they know you're calling them to put their identity in you, not in their orientation, not in their attractions, not their feelings. God, would we align our lives with you? And as we do, would we find the most joyous and peaceful and fulfilling life we could ever imagine because that's what you have in store. I pray for the rest of this series that we'd honor you and have a balance of grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great weekend, CCV. We'll see you next week.